Well, we're in the second week of this series called Take the Plunge, where we're just talking about baptism. And just so you know, we're actually going to have a baptism today after the message, which is exciting. And so that is just to say, one, to know that that's coming in a little bit. But secondly, if you have thought about that, or maybe anything I say today makes you think that you might want to be baptized, you're not going to be alone throughout this series. We're already going to have one today. And like I said, every week of this series, the baptistry is going to be filled and warm. I mean, I can make it cold if you like it, but it's nicer when it's warm. Now, um, a couple reasons why we're going to do this series, or why I wanted to do this series, is um, because getting baptized is just a weird thing to do. If you didn't grow up in church, or even if you did grow up in church, it is weird to come to a place, to come in front of people, and let someone dunk you underwater. Like, that's just not something that we do really anywhere else in life. And so, I wanted to explain why we do what we do. I wanted to take some of the mystery out of it, and and so that, you know, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen if I say I want to get baptized, because maybe I make a good point about something, and you think, maybe baptism is for me, but there's still that hurdle of what actually is going to happen to me when I go up to be baptized. And another reason, though, is because I know that many of us have grown up in different church backgrounds. In fact, a lot of people come to a Christian church and they're like, what? Aren't they all Christian churches? Like, why is this a Christian church? And yes, every denomination has different beliefs, and baptism is one of those those, um, particular beliefs that almost every church you go to has something a little bit different about baptism. And so maybe you're just kind of wondering why we land where we land. And so I just wanted to walk us through some of that stuff as we go through this series. And so last week we answered the question, who is baptism for? And the short answer that we came to the conclusion was baptism is for anyone who knows they are a sinner and believes that Jesus is the solution. For anyone who knows that they have a problem with sin that needs to be solved, that we can't do it alone, we need some sort of divine help, and Jesus is that divine help. Now, if you missed last week, I would encourage you maybe to go to our website and try watching that, because the reason I do things in like a teaching series is it's like a season of a TV show. It's hard to get the point of the season if you only catch a couple episodes here and there, or if you miss the finale. Like, everything kind of goes together to tell one story, to paint one picture, and so all of these weeks are going to kind of build to help us explain, again, why we do what we do in regards to baptism. Now, today I want to answer another question that makes a really big difference for a lot of people if they think about baptism, and it's this. Is it necessary to be baptized in order to be saved? And the answer is not a clear-cut no or a clear-cut yes. And that can be frustrating to some people because they, they don't want, like, some religious guy to stand up and give, like, verbal gymnastics. Like, just yes or no. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to believe. In fact, people have been asking this question, what do I got to do to be saved ever since, you know, the, Jesus' followers were on this earth starting the church and even to Jesus himself. People said, just tell me what to do. And so baptism, do I got to be baptized in order to be saved? And it might be frustrating that there's not a clear-cut answer. But I think it's a good thing that there's not a clear-cut answer, as we're going to see, because the fact that there's not a clear yes or a clear no is going to teach us that, one, God cares more about our hearts than us just jumping through some religious hoops. He cares more about our hearts than just us coming forward and, and 
doing some religious ritual like being dunked underwater for a minute. But God also understands how our hearts work in that he institutes certain things like baptism or communion to be kind of these banner moments in our life that are mindful, something that sticks out in our memories for the rest of our lives or on a weekly basis like with communion. These things that were meant to be these meaningful road markers in our life that we can look back on. And so I just want to kind of try to answer this question today as biblically honest as I know how. And so we're going to look at three different points as we kind of build this case to try to answer this question. And point number one is this. In every detailed story of a person putting their faith in Jesus, baptism immediately follows. And what I mean by detailed is there's two types of conversion stories in the New Testament. There's people like, oh, and 3,000 people became believers, or, and everyone in that town believed, or a lot of people in that town believed, or many people believed, where it just kind of gives you like the, the, the you know, 10,000 foot airplane view of looking out the window, okay? But then there's times where they zoom in, and they walk you through a particular person's story, and they show you what this person's life was like, and how they encountered Jesus, how they came to put their faith in Jesus, and what exactly that looked like, looked like. And every time you get the detailed account, you have somebody who puts their faith in Jesus, and then is baptized like in that same like moment or that same like few minutes, hours, however the time frame was. It was always right there together. This putting their faith in Jesus and baptism always went together. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through some passages in the book of Acts. Um, Acts is the shortened name for Acts of the Apostles. It's the book in, in the New Testament that follows the four Jesus-focused biographies that we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it's Acts. Acts talks about the start of the church, and these, these are the, the, the work of the men that Jesus handed his work to before he went into heaven, and he gave us the mission to carry forward. And so, on one particular zoomed-in encounter, we have a Christian man named Philip. We don't learn a lot about Philip in the New Testament, but we get a couple amazing stories of him doing great work taking the gospel places. And he runs into a guy who is an Ethiopian who had just been to Jerusalem for some Jewish holiday fest and festivals, and he was traveling back home to Ethiopia, and it turns out he was actually a member of the royal court in Ethiopia. And so here's what it says. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 29. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. By the way, when's the last time you ran to tell somebody about Jesus? I don't run really ever, but yeah, I mean, we don't get excited. We should, right? And so Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So this guy's in a chariot. He's reading from a, probably a scroll that he picked up when he was in Jerusalem, probably for the first time he's ever reading scripture in general, and and uh, Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I, unless someone guides me? The Bible can be difficult when you don't understand it. If you've never read it before, it can be hard to understand. And so he, this guy says, how can I get this unless somebody kind of gives me some information here? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from, oops, excuse me, from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So every story that you get that's kind of a zoomed in, how did this person come to Christ? Baptism is always right there in that story. Always, always, always. The second thing that you can learn from reading through the book of Acts is that baptism seems to be the most common time when the Holy Spirit enters into believers. Um, in fact, the um, Jesus' right-hand man was a guy named Peter, and he preached this amazing sermon that actually kicked off the church, that started the church. And this one sermon, he had 3,000 people decide to put their faith in Jesus. Must have been a good one. Because I, I never had quite that response, but, you know, we can hope. And so in Acts chapter 2, we go back to the back a few pages. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, after he preaches this sermon, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, meaning they saw that their sins were what led to Jesus being killed. They saw that their sin was the reason that Jesus had to die, that he gave his life for them. And they were awestruck by the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There's that question. What do I got to do to be saved? Just tell me what to do. And Peter said to them, Repent, meaning pull a 180 from the life you've been living, where sin is what guides you, your, your desires, your cravings are what drive you, and you pull a 180 and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be his disciple, which means his follower. I'm going to walk in his footsteps. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit inside of us is one of those defining traits of being a Christian. Um, I preached a series on it at the end of last year because sometimes we forget to talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about Father and, and the Son, and then the Holy Spirit's kind of like if we remember to talk about the, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the member, the portion of God that comes and lives inside of Christians when we put our faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is actually the greatest evidence that we are saved. In fact, um, even when there's passages that talk about um, baptism, where the Holy Spirit isn't directly mentioned, the work of the Holy Spirit is still mentioned. Um, like in Romans chapter 6, it talks about how when we're baptized, we, receive a, we get a new life. The old life dies, and we get a brand new, fresh start. In Romans 8, two chapters later, it talks about how the new life that we get is from the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes in and resuscitates our dead souls so that we can have a new life. So even that mention of baptism is when you get new life is, is, is a hint that that's when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And if there is ever proof that you are a Christian, it is when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so most of the time in the New Testament, when we're, when we're told about baptism and what its connection is to the Holy Spirit, that seems to be when most often the Holy Spirit shows up in a believer's life. So baptism is the most common time when the Holy Spirit enters into believers and actually helps us become believers. But, so all these so far, is like, yeah, baptism seems to be really essential for salvation. But then if you read through Acts and you pay a lot of attention, you come to this. There are times when people receive the Holy Spirit, which is therefore salvation, new life. They receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. So there's evidence where these people become Christians. God saves them by His grace 
and yet they haven't been baptized. So then you say, okay, well, no then. Baptism isn't necessary for salvation. And Christians have been bickering about this back and forth for centuries. Is it? Isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? And there's denominations broken up over this question. Is there? Is there? Or isn't it? But in one of the times um, where we'll see an example where people become Christians without being baptized yet, it's when um, the first time Gentiles, non-Jewish people, ever became Christians. When the church first started, it was Jesus' followers preaching to other Jewish people that they were close to. Well, then there's one time where God leads the Apostle Peter, again, Jesus' right-hand man. He takes him to a house of people, a family that were entirely Gentiles. And normally, like, Jewish people were, like, forbidden from even entering into that person's house, eating at their table. They saw non-Jewish people as kind of, like, off-limits. You guys, we're the the good saved people. You're the bad people. Like, sometimes we churches, we get that bad mentality sometimes. We're the good people on the inside, and they're all the bad people, right? But, but God says, no, 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 no. You're missing that. I have sent Jesus to die for everyone. And so in Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48, it says, while Peter was saying these things, so Peter's preaching to these people, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, I mean the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed because God's not supposed to save those other people. God's not supposed to save those bad people because the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. I like that. Even on them. Like God even saved those people. Can you believe it? I like the, even the way it's written, they were kind of dumbfounded by it all. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift, and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? For they are who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days to explain all this stuff to them and teach them about Jesus. So you hear this, see this story. Okay, God saves people who aren't baptized. So surely that's proof that baptism isn't a thing that is necessary for salvation. And so you get kind of this time where anytime it teaches about it, you see baptism and, and salvation, repent and be saved. They really go together, but then you have a, kind of these exceptions to the rule every now and then. And so it's hard to find this clear-cut answer. But what you see in this story is God broke his own rule. He, he let these people have the Holy Spirit before baptism, which is, again, that's what's the, the regular mode that things get taught. But he did that because he didn't want to wait for Peter to be convinced that God could save anybody. He just went ahead and showed him that he could save anybody. And so God saved these people, not even waiting for Peter to decide they should be baptized. He saved them so that Peter would go, oh, God's just doing this. God's saving everybody. Okay, I'm not going to argue with God. Let's just start baptizing people. And then from that moment on, that's when the gospel went to every corner of the world. And so when there are these exceptions, and there's two I can think of in the book of Acts, where people receive the Spirit before they are baptized or apart from their baptism, it seems to be that God is trying to send a message that he is going to save absolutely anybody, and he's not going to wait on us to decide if it's okay for him to do that. But here's what I think. I'm going to come back to a, I got a a little bit of a a yes or no answer. That's the best I can give you sometimes, right? So, Point one that we've looked at. In every detailed story of a person putting their faith in Jesus, baptism immediately follows. Point two, baptism seems to be the most common time when the Holy Spirit enters into believers. And three, there are times when people receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. So we get kind of mixed signals here. So here's what I say. God can save without baptism. I just think he can. 
We see that in Scripture. But it is the most common time when he chooses to apply the salvation of Jesus to our lives. Now, a couple things. I know this is a lot. It's a lot of theology and difficult stuff in here. I understand it's kind of heavy. In fact, it was, my brain was fried a couple days this week just trying to put it in an orderly way. But God can save without baptism because baptism is not what saves us. Nobody should ever be confused that there's anything magical about the water. It comes out of the tap. It's the same water you shower with, you flush your toilets with, the same water you wash your hands with or whatever else. Your kids are spraying each other with the hose in the backyard. It's the same water. There's nothing special about the water. There's nothing even special about the person doing the baptism. It's not about me being some sort of spiritual elite or anything like that. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that it has to be done by someone like me. Just that a Christian should baptize people into faith. So it's nothing about that. It's nothing about going through the water. It's nothing about being wet for a half a second. There's nothing specifically about baptism that actually saves you. It is only by Jesus that we are saved. So we can't miss that up. And sometimes when churches go really hard on baptism being necessary for salvation, we kind of lose the fact that, no, it's Jesus that saves. And we forget that he's the center focus of all that we do here. Jesus is the one that saves. But that salvation is, or baptism is most often when that salvation of Jesus gets applied to our lives. It's most often the moment when God chooses to move us from unsaved to saved, from stuck in our sin, guilty of our sin, to freed and forgiven. It seems to be that most common time when God does that. At least in the New Testament, that's the way it was, because deciding to put your, your faith in Jesus and being baptized were almost always done together at the same time. Now, the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this particular topic and kind of wade us through this kind of difficult-to-answer question is, one, to say that if you are not a Christian, or, somebody, or, or you've think, you're thinking about being baptized, or maybe you feel like you've already put your faith in Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, I do want to show you that God says it's very important. It's a very important thing for us to do. It is a very critical step of faith, one in which God can do really amazing things through it in our life, in, these, in this moment of baptism. But I also wanted to cover this stuff because if you come from a different denominational background, and you were... Um, baptized in a different way than we do, you had, where your baptism was separated from confirmation or it was done before you even remember it being done, what I want to say to you is that I am not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that your life of faith doesn't count. I absolutely think that God can save people apart from baptism. I think there are many people who have been baptized and they've lived, or have not been baptized, who lived long um, lives of faith who had meaningful spiritual experiences before they were, were baptized, and, and I think God works in that way, and I'm not saying that he can't, because we see evidence of that in Scripture. But I do not want to downplay the importance of us being baptized, because you say, like, why would, why would God most often work in the moment of baptism? Why would he choose for us to go through this thing if we could be saved without it? Why would he want us to, to go through this ritual? Because Christianity, honestly, we don't get a lot of rules and hoops to jump through. We don't. You know what our number one rule is? Love God. Rule number two, love people. That's all Jesus said. He said everything kind of summed up there. Love God, love people. And then we take communion and we, and we baptize. There's not a lot of like specifically laid out religious hoops for us to jump through. So why would God put this one there? And I think it's because God understands how powerful a moment can be in our lives. 
how powerful baptism can be as kind of a stake in the ground, place of commitment where you stood up, and he understands how powerful the, the, the symbolism can be in your life. For instance, because baptism has got so many rich layers of symbolism. There's powerful symbolism of being buried as Christ was buried. In baptism, you can stand up and make the declaration that that old me is gone. That life that was lived to myself and to selfishness, that life that chose to hurt people and, and to you know, you know, betray people, to be someone who was led by lies and cravings and whatever sin you were dragged on by, saying, that's not me anymore. That person, that person is dead. Just as Jesus died and I go under the water, I am burying that old life so that he can be gone and I can have a new, fresh start. And then there's the powerful symbolism of being washed and made pure. To say that my list of sins, the regrets that keep me up at night, the the guilt that makes me feel unworthy of God's love, baptism is a chance for us to be spiritually washed clean. To go under that water and come up feeling refreshed and renewed. To have the dirty residue of our past actions cleansed away. And then there's the powerful symbolism that your life is forever united with Christ. Just as your old life dies with Christ, now you have a new life to be driven by new, new, new forces, okay? No longer do you have to be driven by, again, those cravings and selfishness and sin because before Christ it said that we're stuck in that stuff. But with Jesus, as the guiding force of our life, he's the one that leads us onward. He's the one that drives us forward to be people who can love our neighbor as ourselves and even do harder things like love our enemies and pray for the people who are mean and hurtful and cruel to us. In baptism, you come up out of that water with the declaration, I've got a new life, and I'm going to live it differently than my last one. I've got a fresh start, and I'm going to be a different human being, not led by me, but led by Jesus and following in his footsteps. And more so, that another thing that's amazing about living your life united with Jesus is that sometimes the thing that drives us in life is fear and insecurity. I don't matter. And I'm not enough. And so you gotta try to, you, you live your life trying to prove yourself through work success or, or being a certain type of parent or by having enough money or having enough stuff because it makes you feel like you're, you're validating yourself, right? But when you're led by Jesus, you don't need those things to validate you because the fact that Jesus died for you already says that you're worth it, already says that you matter. So you can cut the ties to all the fears and the insecurities and actually be led by Jesus in a life of perfection. So is it necessary to be Baptized in order to be saved? Yes and no. You can see why the answer is not clear cut. That God cares more about your heart. And there's times when God saved people apart from baptism because he valued where our hearts were more than the religious hoop that we were jumping through. But he very much, very, very much wanted salvation and baptism to go hand in hand because of the powerful moment-making ability. That, That moment that becomes kind of one of those banner flag moments of your life, it becomes kind of a chapter marker on the story of who you are that that defines you and separates the old from the new. And so obviously it's Jesus that saves by his work on the cross and, and not the water. But I think we should be eager to be baptized. I think we should celebrate baptism. I think we should, it's not something that we should avoid because we're nervous or because we think people might look at us weird when we get up in front of everybody. Baptism should be something that is cheered because over and over again in scripture, it's the mark of a new life. It's the mark of somebody who's moving from death to life, from guilt to freedom, from sin to hope, 
of everlasting life. And we should be eager to be baptized in the grace and mercy of Jesus. And like that Ethiopian guy that we looked at just a little bit ago, we should look for that first moment to say, this is something I need to do. What's stopping me? You got excuses, but what's stopping you? We, we got a million reasons why not to. Like, I, I, I would like to say that my story of baptism was one where I was bold like that guy and said, I can't wait another minute. Um, but I heard about baptism. I had actually stayed after youth group one night because I had been going to a Baptist church, and, and Baptist church don't, the one I went to at least, did not emphasize the importance of baptism as much. And then I came to a Christian church because a girlfriend invited me. And what are you going to do when the pretty girl invites you to go anywhere? You go. Like, you know, she could have invited me to a, a witch coven, and I'd be like, all right, you're pretty. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. Luckily, it was church. God was looking out for me, right? And so I, I go, and so the guy explains baptism to me, and I just had this, like, I need to do this. Like, I had been leading and kind of taking steps of faith along the way. If you want to ask me if I'm saved or not, I don't know what, where in the pathway God saved me, what would that moment, but, but I just knew this is something God is calling me to do. I need to take this step of faith, this step of obedience, this step of cleansing, and the guy said, okay, we'll put it on the calendar. And I said, hold on, let me talk to, make sure I can talk somebody else into it first. And I talked to my friend Justin. I said, Justin, you talk about getting baptized. Oh, I'm in if you're in. I'm not going if you're not going. He's like, okay, I'll go. All right, we're doing this together. You know, so, even, so I kind of chickened out. Like, I made too many excuses. And if he wouldn't have, maybe I would never have. I don't know when I would have got dunked. But, but the stories, I wish I would have been more inspired by people like that Ethiopian guy to say, I can do this. This isn't about having a buddy to go with me. It's about making this declaration that Jesus is my Savior and to unite my life with him by going under the water and burying the old me and rising with a new life. And I can't describe how different my life is on this side of a commitment to Jesus. I cannot describe the difference of who I am. And it wasn't overnight. It was a slow, long curve. Some people, it's like God saves them, and he's like, you're not this person anymore. You're over here. And he just totally changes them around. He led me around a little slower, longer curve. And maybe it was because I was the chicken and didn't want to go all in all the time. But, man, my life is different. And God can be hope for you like he was hope for me. I look back on who I used to be, and I would feel ashamed, but it's more of feeling grateful and proud that God has done things in my life and changed me. And he can do the same for you. And I'm not saying that the water's magically going to save you, but it's that declaration that Jesus is your new way and that who you are before is going away and you're going to walk whatever road comes before, comes before you with him. Let's pray. Lord, we are incredibly grateful for all that you've done. We are incredibly grateful for the way that you reach out and you save us. And, and even in times we get to theological topics that are a little confusing and, and it's hard to, to, to balance the, the truths that baptism is not what saves us, Jesus is what saves us, and the reality that so many times baptism is when people were saved. That's a tricky, tricky thing to try to understand in our hearts and in our lives. And so if we're here today, I pray that we would walk away just knowing that you are good and a life following Christ is the path for us. And so I pray that if there's anyone in this room that, that needs to take the step of faith of baptism, Father, that you would work on them with the Holy Spirit and just guide them gently to, to that step. And I just pray, Father, that, that you would allow us to be a church that, that does work in the unity that we see in the early church, where we hold hands on the bigger issues of faith and we, we agree where we can agree, and sometimes we don't. We don't all agree on some of the, the smaller topics, but that we can at least move forward together and have fellowship together. 
And so, Father, I just, I just thank you for the, the many different places that we've come from and the many different spiritual stories that you've told through all of our lives. And I just pray that at the center of it all is Jesus and his saving work for us on the cross, that we were guilty and he made us free, that we had sinned and he forgave us through his um, purchase of our lives on the cross. And we thank you again for the Holy Spirit that can live inside of us and regenerate our dead souls and actually give us a new hope and a new purpose to move forward, giving us supernatural strength to say no to the sin that has held on to us for so long. So thank you for baptism and its many, many deep layers of meaning. I just pray that we would always, always be grateful for the life that you've led us down and the salvation that comes through Jesus. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.